And we pour out our praise to him this morning because he gave us life. Because he gave us bread. What an awesome thing to be in a house of believers, a body of believers together this morning. You know, a lot of times we think we have things figured out and just the way things are going to work and we have plans and we make practices and, and, and different things and then, then God just decides that he's going to do something different. And it's, a lot of times he does that just to show us that he says, I'm in control. I want you to follow my lead. I want you to follow my will, my call. This morning, you know, as, as we're in here, whenever it started raining the other day, and it rained and rained, and I drove by, and there was no water in the sanctuary, and then a little bit later, I had a text and said that ah, water was coming in, and the water came up, you know. And at the moment, you know, I think, man, you know, just was ready for this Sunday. But then God just reminded me, you know, the church is the people. Amen. The church is the body of believers. The church is not the building. But we need to praise the Lord because of this building. A lot of churches would love to have a building like this to meet in every Sunday. And sometimes we sacrifice and think, well, we have to go into the family life center. But again, remember, you guys, we, we are the church. And we will bind together. And that's what I'm going to talk about this morning is just unity and, and what, what God is planning and what he has in store for us. And, you know, um, true, this is our, our first Sunday, basically, Easter Sunday, we had Andrew Kedger with us and, um, you know, he did a great job. It was just a great service. Felt the anointing. Just felt the, the presence of God in a mighty way. And I want, I want that every week. I want to hear from God. I want to feel His presence. I want to just be able to be saturated, you know, by the glory that, that comes down. And, and that's what I desire. And I pray that that's what you desire every week as well. This is our first week. You know, Pastor Norman has followed a new call, and he was here for a long time—nine years almost—and and God is definitely blessed. Pastor Norman Karen. But, you know, I'm sure that there are friendships that will last for years. Because I, I believe Norman's that, that type of person. I believe that I'm going to have a friendship that will last for years, even though we only got to be together a couple months. Amen. We talked a lot on the phone, but yet he's already contacted me two or three times. And, you know, just let him know he's letting us know, know that he's praying for us. And I'm letting him know that I'm praying for him. And it's just it's that, that bond of, of, of Christian brotherly love that, that kind of binds us together. And, and so I know that we're going to have that, and you know, we should. But one of the failures that I have seen in a number of churches, and especially uh, a number of churches that have, have lost maybe a beloved pastor, um, they hold on to maybe that way of thinking for too long. And not that we don't need to thank Pastor Norman, thank what we've done, and thank Skyline for where it's at. You know, we need to make sure we do that, but we also need to make sure that, you know, we don't live in the past. Okay, we do not want to live in the past. We just want to continually look forward because God's tender mercies are new every day. His fresh bread is new every day. He has stuff for us new every day. And so there is going to be a new path, a new horizon, a new journey that we take. And we're going to take that journey together. So we're going to, to um, we're not going to be the same church at all. We're going to get a different pastor, a new pastor. That pastor is not going to be like Pastor Noah. And I pray that as the search team looks for that new pastor, and as we kind of represent um, the church, that we remember also that we're looking for someone that may be totally different. He may have some similarities, but he may not have any similarities. It's hard to say. But don't live in the past. There's a quote from Alexander Graham Bell. says, when one door closes, another door opens. Amen. But we so often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we do not see the ones which are opening for us. I think that was just an awesome quote. And, and my wife will tell you, I don't think I have ever used quotes in any kind of a scripture. I'm using three of them this morning. So from just different people. I've just really studied a lot of things. And I, I probably had four or five different messages that I wanted to bring this morning. And so I've combined some of them together. And I just pray that, um, that God will speak through me. And what I want to do right now before I go on, go on is I just want to pray. And uh, just that God would have his way in the service. Lord, I just thank you this morning. Father, for all that you do. Father, we thank you that we are clay, Father, in your hands. And Father, that we're moldable, Father, Lord, to be made into whatever you choose for us to be. Lord, I pray that we would follow your will. We would follow after you. Father, that we would just do the best that we can to search your will, to search your word, to spend time in prayer, to just spend time with you, Lord. Father, this morning, I pray that my words would be your words, Lord, and that I would get out of the way. 
And Lord, that you would have freedom this morning in this house. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I've always been a, uh, a glass half full type person. Um, Terry helped me with some stuff this weekend, and, and I mentioned that to him. You know, I look for the good in everything. Amen. Everything that surrounds us. It's like the sanctuary. You know, when you get rain in it, you know, we get to come in here. I think, ah, oh, it'll be something different. We'll get to just kind of, and it's really neat to be able to see all of your guys' faces without looking way up in the sky, you know, trying to see everybody. So that's a great thing. You know, I, I just look for the good in everything and everyone. If I have lemons, I try to make lemonade. Okay, now I'm not really good at making lemonade. I say that to my wife or whatever. But yeah, that's, that's the kind of person that I am. And, and sometimes that frustrates people. And I pray that it doesn't frustrate you. But I definitely will be looking for, for the good in everything. When someone comes and they might have a question or, or a statement that is, is maybe negative, I always try to look for that the positive side of that. Because there's going to be a positive side. Another quote from Winston Churchill says, The pessimist sees, pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. Another one that I've really just kind of grown over the past few years, my wife will tell you that I hate to paint. I really don't like to paint at all. But over the years, God has kind of taught me and brought, brought me through some things and taught me some patience through that. Uh, but Vincent Van Gogh, he says, If you hear a voice within you say you cannot paint, then by all means paint. And that voice will be silent. So if you know someone, you got something that someone says you can't do that, you do it anyway. Just do it. Now if it's within the law, okay? Just do it. Just do it. And, and because if you start doing it, people can't tell you, uh, you can't do that because you're doing it. And God will give us. He, he will supply for us. He, you know, we can do all things through Christ. He strengthens us. And what I got this morning um, is quite a few scriptures. And... It'll move kind of slowly at first and then really speed up. But, and because of the, uh, the length of some of these, I'm not going to have you stand this morning. But I am going to be in Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to be in John chapter 11, Matthew 14, Acts 16, and then Genesis 22. So Exodus 14 says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pagahar, uh, uh, between Migdal and the sea. In front of Balzephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was charged, was changed towards the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and took his army with him. And he took 600, uh, 600 chosen chariots of all the other chariots of Egypt with offices over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pushed the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overlooked them and camped the sea by Piarhar in front of Belzephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching them, were marching after them, and they feared greatly. I want you to remember that verse right there. They feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said, to Moses, it is because is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what you said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will give glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen, then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them, 
and the pillar of the cloud moved before them and stood behind him, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night that made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on to their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them, and in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watched the Lord in the pillar of the cloud, who looked down on the Egyptian forces, and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels, and that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Spread out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon those chariots, and upon the horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots, and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on to their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel, that that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead in the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed. What an awesome story. And that should bring you encouragement whenever we're looking at, at, at oppositions and, and things come before us. I also want to go into John chapter 11. And I'm not going to read all of these, these passages. I'm going to just kind of skip through it. This is basically about Lazarus. And you guys know the story of Lazarus, but I want to read just a little bit. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother's Lazarus was ill. And what I want to do is go on over to chapter or to verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. I want to go down to verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I'm going to wait on over to verse 38 now. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha. The sister, Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Nonetheless, he did that. And on down, where it says verse 43 and 44, it says, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, and his hands and his feet were bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. I want you to move over to Matthew real quick. Matthew 14, verse 13. Many, many of these stories you guys are very familiar with, but I want, I want to point out something as I get through them here. Just a now, when Jesus heard this, he went through from there, and this is after John was beheaded, um, desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore and saw a great crowd, and he compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is, is, is about over. Send the crowds away and go into the villages and buy food for them so they can eat. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves in here and two fish. We're going to go over to verse 24. Because we're going to talk about from there, he just went on to the, they went out to the boat. And of course, there's a storm brewing, and, and the, the boat is, is being, you know, beaten to the side. He says, but the boat by this time was long away from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. You don't have to turn there, but Acts 16, we talk about Paul and Silas when they were uh, thrown into prison. They were thrown into the very center part of the prison and they were shackled. They had the chains binding them. And so, you know, they, they had 
everything that they to really fear about and worry about. The one thing that they did different, though, than the other two is, is they, they just sang. And they just sang worship songs. Now, there was a jailer there, and whenever the earthquake came, um, the earthquake came and it, it opened the doors and, and lost their shackles and everything, he had fear because he thought they had escaped. But Paul and Silas told him, no, just, just you're okay. And the last thing I want to look at is Genesis chapter 22. And this is probably something that is really familiar with many of you. After these things, in verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Then down to verse 7. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the land? And the burnt offering. Now all these scriptures, I know there's a, a lot of passages there that, um, that we, we've looked at. But what I want to, to kind of invite you to, thank you, is uh, what is interesting about all these passages is that all of the miracles were preceded by an event or a circumstance that caused them to have fear or uncertainty. In every one of those miracles that took place, and when you think of that, the man, the miraculous thing they did. But in Exodus chapter 14, the Red Sea, the sea was before them, the army was behind them, and they feared. They didn't know what to do. They were blaming Moses. Why did you bring us here? But yet the Salvation was before them in the Lord. John chapter 11, Lazarus. They're saying he's only already been dead four days. He's going to stink by now. It's going to have an odor. But yet they, they, they were uncertain and then, you know, fear was upon them as well. How about Matthew 14 where he fed the 5,000 and the disciples? They were standing there and they said, well, Lord, what are we going to do? We can't feed all these people. Send them home. Send them into their towns so they can buy food. So they were uncertain. But yet Jesus told them, no, you feed them. Of course, he blessed the bread and, and, and he was able to feed them. And they had 12 basketfuls left over. How about Jesus walking on the water? They saw an image coming to them on the water and they were fearful. And they thought it was a ghost. But Jesus was walking on the water, showing his miracle. And then Acts, Paul and Silas in prison. They were singing praises to God. Now, I know they had to have some kind of fear or some kind of uncertainty. I know if I had been that even as close to God as maybe in my closest I've ever been, if I was thrown into a dungeon or a place like that, into the, the middle of something, knowing that they wanted to kill me, I would probably be fearful. I would maybe still would be praising the Lord like they did, but I would definitely be fearful. But yet they chose to praise the Lord. And how about Genesis 22 where Abraham is tested? I cannot even imagine trying and going to, to sacrifice one of my own sons for the Lord. But yet, there wasn't anywhere in that scripture that he even paused for a moment. He just said, let's go forward. But there was uncertainty in his mind, I'm sure. Mainly because he wasn't sure how God was going to take care of that. But he knew that he would. So, what I want to do this morning is just kind of encourage you, and, and myself as well, as I've went through the, these passages uh, that, I've, that I've looked at. Um, I, I really just find a lot of encouragement to myself as well, but... Isaiah 41.10. Now, you don't have to go to any of these. I'm going to have several more scriptures. But it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. One of my favorite verses, Zephaniah 3.17. A lot of worship leaders, if you lead worship, this is one of yours, I'm sure. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. To imagine God is singing over me. Especially when we're in church and we're worshiping and, and I'm praising and singing praises to him. I, I just feel that he's worshiping over me and over our, our praise to him. I just thank him for that. But here's the thing. God is on the move. I don't know if you guys understand that and believe that this morning, but God is on the move. We should be looking forward with excitement and anticipation of what God is going to do in our current circumstance. Our current circumstance will bring glory and honor to His name, which will in turn bring about a miraculous outcome. It'll bring about a miraculous outcome. God is not bound by space and time. If He is moving, and it's definitely the, definite that He is, He's moving in Pastor Norm's life as He's called into somewhere else and he sold his house 
the very first thing that went on the market. They went out to Oklahoma and the very next day and purchased a home. That's just God all mixed in that. So it's there. God is moving. And here's the thing. God is not bound by space and time. He, he works all things out. He doesn't just work in one area. He's working all over. And so if he's moving in Norm's life, he's also moving on this side and getting, getting ready to move in a mighty way. Are you guys ready for him to move in a mighty way? Hallelujah. Man, I am too. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 really says it best. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. They're eternal. Whatever God is doing right now, we may not understand. Many of us may have questions. I'm sure I, I have questions. We've just been here a couple months and, and things going on. So I, I have questions. Man. I don't understand it. It's during this time, though, that we must have faith. It's during this time that we need to study Hebrews chapter 11. And maybe read through Hebrews chapter 11 over and over and over. And realize that we have a portion of faith. What is that portion of faith? It's different for all of us. But we need to be united in one common goal, and we need to seek Him. It is now that we trust Him in all of our hearts. There's a, one of my favorite passages, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will guide your path. He will guide our path, and we will just trust in Him. It's now that we need to seek His face. First Chronicles 16.11 Seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. It is now that we need to pray more than ever before, as Terry had already stated. 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. It is now that we need to learn to lean on him in this time. It's now that we must seek his will and ask God to lead. I know we talk about being in, in, in the God's will and maybe you know going... Or following him, or we're looking for a goal, or even in this pastor search, whatever it may be. God's will is really to get from point A to point B. And he already knows where he wants us to be. And if we will follow his will, and if we will pray, and if we will be where we need to be with him, reading the word and listening, being silent before him, and listening, and getting our own thoughts and, and maybe our own priorities out of the way, he can take us from point A to point B fairly quick. But it's when we get in the way and we start making different turns and we want to go to the left or we want to go to the right or maybe we decide we want to turn around and we want to go a different direction. I know um, years ago, whenever Caleb was only about a year old, we had moved to South Carolina and we lived in a little subdivision and very, not very many houses there yet. They were building houses. But I used to put him on my lap, forgive me, but I used to put him on my lap when I was driving home in that little area and I would drive and we were going where we needed to go. But every now and then, he was, I want to drive, I want to drive, so I let him have the wheel. And it didn't take very long until all of a sudden we were, sorry, we were going off the road this way, and we were going off the road that way. Um, you know, maybe I'd have to stop because we were going this way. So what was happening was I was the one that I knew where we were going, but I let him take the wheel, and because I let him take the wheel, oftentimes we begin to get off course. And a lot of times that's what we do in our personal walk with God. We begin to get off course, and we begin to do things our own way. How many like the little lady or the lady that talks to you on your uh, on your GPS when you're going somewhere? You know, whenever you punch in your coordinates, we did that several times coming back and forth from Tennessee to Branson when we were thinking about coming here. We put we type that in, and you know we'd be going and then say we'd be there by such and such a time. Well, it come come time for us to get gas or whatever we're going to do, maybe stop and eat. She did not like it when we pull off the road. She would tell us you need to turn around or go to the next next road, make a right, or go up here and make another right. We go up here and do this. She, she was really not happy that we were doing things that she did not want us to do. And it's funny, and we laugh at that, but the same principle kind of applies to God. And He really has a place that He's wanting us to go, and a direction that He's wanting us to go. And so many times we let our own personal thoughts and our influences and our own desires get in the way. And we begin to look at things in our life, and the way that we see things, and what we want. And then all of a sudden, we're off track, and we're off course. Has the goal changed? Has the destination changed? It has not changed a bit. But our perspective, our perspective of it has changed. And so we need to be careful that we, we follow His will. We pray for that. 
Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I think Pastor Terry already uh, talked about this. He read this, but this is in my uh, sermon as well. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and suppl supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So that should bring encouragement to you this morning. So we have a reason maybe to be fearful and maybe some reason to maybe have concerns or uncertainty. But I just want to encourage you. And the one thing I want to look at this morning, and I've said all these things to bring us to this point. God is the initiator. And we are the responder. He's the one that initiates change. And we respond. How we respond to this circumstances is crucial for the future of Skyline Baptist Church to the body, to you guys, to me, myself, my family. Now more than ever, we must be united. I want to repeat that. Now more than ever, we must be united. You know, coach baseball for several years, and, and coach basketball a little bit, and, um, I, I enjoy it. One reason I enjoy it is because you take a, a, a group of people, a group of young men, and, and you work with them, and, and you try to show them that we have a common desire, a common goal. We want to go out and play well, and yeah, we want to win, but there's a saying, it's not whether you win or lose, but it's how you play the game. I don't really like that saying all the time, because I really like to win. And as a coach, that was my goal, was to win. But I never let my players who were under me know that. I wanted to make sure that they realized that all I wanted from them was 100%. Just give me 100%. That's all I'm asking for. There would be little things of a reprobation, you know, I'd let them run a little bit extra, make them go grab a, a rock from center field, fence, and bring it back to me and, and look at it. I don't really like that rock, but give me another one. You know, just little things that we, we did. But um, I had a coach when I was in school that I still look up to greatly, and he used to use biblical principles every time that we could be coaching. And I remember that. And as I got older, as I began to coach, I began to put some of those same principles in, in the way that I coached. And it, it was so success, successful in my life that I don't even think so much about the games that we play, but I remember all the, all the little things that he taught me. And so as a coach, you know, we have to lead, and you have to find ways to, to make things work. And sometimes you're going to fail, sometimes you're going to falter. But most of the time, the, the, the greatness comes when the team is united together. And that team is, you know, they, they love being together. We take a group, a, a group of, of young men that really don't know each other. And right now, that's who I am in the, in the grand scheme of things, because there's a whole lot of you that I don't know yet. And what I want to be is I want to be a coach right now. And yeah, as a pastor, an associate pastor, but I want to be a coach. I want to help lead us in, in the direction that I feel that, that God wants us to go. But one thing I want you to understand, it takes everybody working together for us to achieve that. Using assistant coaches and specialty coaches and team members working toward one common goal. And I'm saying the word coaches, but I'm just saying teachers, leaders, people in the church. We need to work together to where we can, we can reach that one common goal. And that goal, unlike baseball or basketball or track or football, whatever it may be, to win, our goal is to bring glory and honor to God. That should be our main goal, is that we bring glory and honor to God and that we get ourselves out of the way. I talked about this while ago when Mary came up with the baby that... You know, our older men would, would begin to teach the younger men. And I know there's a little bit of that that goes on already, but I believe that it could be so much greater. So much greater that, that as the young people come in, it wouldn't be just a place that they come just to, to hang out with young people, but they would be a place they come to learn. They come to, to maybe, that, that that senior adult would maybe breathe into them. As the song we, we, we sung earlier, you know, breathe on me, breath of God. As we read and get closer to God in his word, that the, the older men would be able to breathe into their lives. The same thing with the, the older women, that they would be able to teach the younger women how to be good mothers, how to be good wives. And the, the older men, how to be good husbands, how to be treat a lady the way they're supposed to be treated. There's a lot of those things. And, and guys, it's your job. Women, it's your job to be able to do those things. It's not up to the pastor, whoever may be here. That's, that's the body of believers. It's their job. Maybe it's just getting involved in some extra things. I know we have VBS coming up. There's an opportunity to just jump in and say, yeah, I want to help. I want to be united. I want to be part of something that's going on in this church. And whenever we have these things going on, it's a great thing that we come together. One thing that we did a couple weeks ago, we went out and hit some softballs as a team. And by the way, 
we had our first week of softball, we're still undefeated. So. <laughs> be the only time I might be able to say that, but we didn't lose because we didn't play. Okay? It rained us out. So, but it's a time, you know, we went to the softball field and we just had a great time. We was hitting and, and I, I was pitching to the, to the players and they were hitting the ball, of course. Then Rob, he decides to hit one right back at me in the foot. Oh, yeah. so thank you, Rob, for that. So, but anyway, it was good. And it was actually, we got to, people let their guard down. Just have fun. Spend time with each other. What is discipleship? Discipleship isn't sitting in a classroom, sitting one-on-one -on -one across from each other and talking about the Bible. That's part of it. But true discipleship is living with them, going through life together with them, you know, reaching out and, and letting sometimes your guard down and let them into your life a little bit. That's what we need to do. We need to be true disciples. We have, you know, Sunday school classes that many people go to and, and many people want to be part of. If you want to teach or something, let me know. Let someone know. We'll, we'll get you plugged in there somehow. Missions. What are we going on a mission trip? I'm, I already had this plan before we came here. I'm going to the Dominican Republic. And we're going to be doing some things out there. There's going to be ways that you can get involved in that. Even if you can't go, there's still a needy group of people. We'll talk about that more as the, as the weeks go on. But what I want you to look at right now is we're talking about unity. Now is not the time to be a superhero. Now is not the time to be a one-man show. Now is not the time to be the MVP. In order to bring glory and honor to God, we must be united. Three things that unity does. Unity brings us together. Ecclesiastes 4.12 A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Unity brings camaraderie. A mutual trust. A friendship. Getting to know each other better. Doing some things together, hanging out together, maybe doing some things. Um, it's not in the bulletin yet, but one thing we're going to be doing in the next few weeks, um, I don't know if maybe she's doing it. we're actually going to be having a senior lunch. We're just going to have lunch in here, and for, for the seniors to come in, and just want to get to know you guys. Just want to get to know who you are, what you're about, what you like, what you don't like. Um, you know, it's, it's just a time to sit and relax and to have, you know, grow closer together, you know, have that uh, camaraderie together. That's what we want to we look for. Also, most of all, unity draws its presence. It draws its presence. But what I want to look at is 2 Chronicles, chapter 5. Whenever Solomon was working on the house of the Lord when he had finished, the ark brought to the temple. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes the leaders of the fathers, the house of the people of Israel in Jerusalem, to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled before the king at the feast that is in the seventh month. And all the elders of, of Israel came, and the Levites took up the Ark. And they were brought up, and they brought up the Ark, the tent of the meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The Levitical priests brought them up, and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. And the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim made a covering above the ark. And its poles, and its poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen from outside. And they are, they are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses put on the Horeb. While, there, while the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place for all the place, priests who were present there and consecrated them without regard to their divisions and the uh, Levitical singers. Asaph, Hermon, uh, Jephudah, Jephudah. Their sons and kinsmen arrayed in fine linen. The cymbals, harps, and lyres stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison, in praise, in thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals, the other musicians, instruments, in praise to the Lord. For he is good, and his love, his steadfast love, endures forever. The house 
the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. If you go into Acts 2, chapter 1 through 4, it kind of talks about the, the same thing when they never the room. They were all there together in a mighty rush of wind. You know, came and the Holy Spirit moved. Wouldn't it be a great thing? Would there be anything more rewarding? Anything more rewarding for this body to be so united that the time of the glory of the Lord chose to rest with each of us every time we came together on a Sunday morning? What would that be like? Would there be anything more rewarding? The only reason this would happen would be because of unity. Satan will choose everything in his arsenal to keep that from happening. I want you guys to know that. And I know if uh, Philip Schubert, when he was here talking with us, he threw that out at us the same thing. And, and I know many of us were already thinking, but that's true. Satan is going to do whatever he can to bring us and divide us, to cause division, to maybe bring up little murmurings from underneath. Well, I don't like the way they did that, or I don't like the song they sang this morning. Or did you hear what that guy said to me? I don't like the way that he said that. Those things, we've got to remember that Satan is going to throw those things at us. We cannot let him. We cannot let him get a foothold. Foot so he will choose everything in his arsenal to keep that from happening. We need to keep that from happening. He does not want us to be united. He will try to cause confusion, vision, every opportunity. The way to fight it, the way to fight against that is to be aware that he is lurking in every corner. He's lurking around, seeking who he may devour, waiting for the opportunity to strike. Because that's what he does. He plays unfair. It's not fair at all. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. It doesn't say some. It says that all of you agree. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. The personnel team, you know, I've met with, with them and the finance team, and of course our church team has met, and talking about moving forward as, as we, we look for the man that, God that um, he has already already has out there for us. We just need to find him. We have agreed that the most important thing that we can do as individuals, as a congregation, as a pastor search team, is to pray that we follow God's will. That's the most important thing. And I'm challenging you as a church this morning to commit to pray. Even if it's for five minutes. For 10 minutes. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's in the evening. Maybe it's when you're driving down the road. I don't know when it will, when it will be. But whenever skyline comes to mind, pray for what's going on. Not only in our search for a pastor, but as we move forward as a church as well. We can't let the next three, four, five, six, eight months, I don't know how long it's going to be. We can't just let that sit void. We still have things to do. There's work to be done. We still have souls that need to be saved for the kingdom. And as a church, that's what we want to do. There are still broken families that need a sense of belonging. We need to reach out to them and love on them and let them know that we're here. We're the church. We're a body of believers. We love you because Christ loved us. And we want to love you just as Christ loved us. There are still church children that need to be ministered to. We're going to be doing VBS here for too long. We need people to be out there and just showing them the love of God, showing them maybe how to reach into their lives and, and just making them smile. Let, let them get close to you. You know, that doesn't take much. It's just a smile and it's an encouragement and they'll be best friends for life. I know Tammy, she just has, you know, we, everywhere we go, you know, she spent a week or two with the kids and a lot of times the kids begin to just kind of hug on her and grab her leg and, oh, Miss Tammy's here, Miss Tammy's here. And it's because she loves them. And that's all it takes. If you guys will love on that. You know, sometimes I have a, a pastor friend. In fact, he's going to be here next week. Um, but whenever he talks to talks to a little kid, he always gets down here on one knee and he gets eye to eye with them because it makes them feel important. It makes them feel like you know I belong. You know, hey, this guy likes me. He's coming down to my level, and it's okay. We can do those things. God is the initiator, and we are the responder. How we respond to this circumstance is crucial for, for the future of Skyline Baptist Church and to the body. To your spouse, to your parents, to your children, and to the community around us. Philippians 2, 1 through 3. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. 
and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. I want to read that last part again. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And the last verse that I really want to look at this morning, I want to challenge you with this verse. Is Colossians 3, 12 through 17. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, and that's you guys, God's chosen ones, the, the, the body and the beloved. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. As the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. But we must do that. It's hard, but we must do that. And above all things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God the Father through Him. What I want to do this morning, I want to, uh, musicians to come, and Miles is going to sing for us here in just a second, but just kind of an invitation. But now is, this is kind of beginning our first week seeking God's face as we go forward and looking for a new pastor. We want to seek his presence. We want him to meet with us on a weekly basis. Do we need a pastor? Yes, we do. Can we move forward without one? Yes, we can. We can be a very united body of believers that come together and I mean when a new pastor comes in here just think if he came in here and, and he sees that we're worshiping and we're praising and we're doing things and we're reaching the lost and we're going out and you know bringing souls into the kingdom we're loving on people that maybe are sometimes seem unlovable whatever that is if that pastor would come in here and he said man you guys man, you guys are doing a great thing you know, you're following God you're, you're following his will so you know his job when he comes in is going to be much easier we could very easily go the other way and stop doing a lot of things. Stop doing events. Stop having children's ministries. Stop doing DBSs. You know, now we're well, just going to wait for the pastor that's in here. That's not what he wants us to do. Who is our leader? It's Jesus. He is our leader. And we can unite together this morning as a body of believers as we move forward. And my challenge is to you this morning is to commit to pray. And what I want to do is, is we as we sing this morning, and you know, we're just gonna, we want to seek His presence. We want His presence here every week. And the only way that we're going to do that is to be united, and also to be united in prayer. So this morning, I know we're in a different venue, kind of, and things are a little bit different. But if you really want God to move, if you want this church to move forward, if you want this church to be powerful, it only happens when you guys are in communion with God. And so this morning, what I want you to do is I want us to, to there's some chairs up here, some things and some empty chairs, and maybe just where you're at. I'd love for us this morning to just pray. And maybe you don't know the Lord this morning. Maybe you're lost. Maybe you, you know, just don't understand anything that I'm talking about. Well, this, this is for you too, because you can pray and you can ask God as He's drawing you Ask him into your life that you would tell him that you're a sinner. Tell him that you need him. Tell him that you want to live differently. But the majority of you that are here this morning, I'm asking this morning that if you'll just take time to pray. We have seven men that are on the search team, five on the search team, two alternates that I know that cover the prayers. It's a very, very important task that they have before you. But I also know that God wants to hear from you. He wants to build and have that relationship with you. 
So this morning, as Miles sings, I would just ask that throughout the sanctuary, if you would just take time to just pray. If you want to come up here, you know, there's kind of a little altar on both sides, or there's some chairs up here, or just where you're at. But at this time, as they sing, let's go ahead and stand together as Miles sings. Here in your presence, that's what we want this morning. Yeah. 
Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. Father, we have a wonderful body of believers that meet each week. And Lord, I just praise you for that. I just praise you that, that you've allowed us to have facilities like we do that we can come in and we can just worship you together. We can sing songs to you together. We can learn together, Father, from your word. And Father, that we can sing. And Lord, that this morning we have uh, even young people and, and older people together just singing and worshiping and leading. But Lord, we have a congregation that desires to have unity, Father. And Lord, I pray that you would bring us together, however you may do that, Lord. And I pray that it's through our prayers. I pray that it's through time that we spend with you, time that we spend with each other as we're seeking unity as we move forward. Father, this morning, I just pray that you would grow us as a church, not only numerically, but Lord, even more importantly, spiritually, that we would draw closer to you, that we would see when things are, are happening, that you're moving, and that we could jump on board and we'd be part of what you're doing. Father, you're an awesome God, and we are so humbled before you. We're so privileged to come and to spend time with you and to seek your face. And I pray, Lord, that we would do that very thing, that we would seek you, that we would want to draw close to you, that we would want to do as the song says, to be in your presence, that things would become undone. All of our plans, all of our cares would melt away when we're in your presence. Fathers, we go our separate ways this morning. I just pray, Father, you help us to remember and to, to keep mindful of, of this time that we need to pray, that how important it is that as we move forward as a church, that we spend time with you and we draw closer to you. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for this day. I praise you. It's in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.